When Pierre-Charles L'Enfant designed the National Mall in the newly named District of Columbia, he conceived of an area 1.2 miles long and 400 feet wide that would connect the United States Capitol steps to what would become the Washington Monument, directly south of the White House. It's an area used for protests and picnics, presidential inaugurations, and kite festivals. The open green fields connect government buildings to marble monuments and the Smithsonian Institution. It's a national park in the middle of the nation's capital, and in 1987, Cleve Jones, Mike Smith, and Gert McMullen were trying to determine just how many graves would fit inside it. This is 1,000 Words, written and produced by Michael DeWatley, a podcast dedicated to examining the world that art has made. The government's response to the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s was nothing short of an atrocity. A new disease with no vaccine, no cure, and until 1987, no drug that would even slow the progress of the disease, there was silence and inaction on the part of the U.S. government. In 1982, as hundreds of Americans had already died from AIDS, President Ronald Reagan's press secretary laughed when asked about the president's level of concern with regards to the new pandemic. By the time Reagan began to formally recognize AIDS, almost 50,000 Americans had been diagnosed with the disease, and almost 28,000 of them would be dead. Meanwhile, in 1985... Cleve Jones, one of the gay activists who had worked for Harvey Milk, led a demonstration marking the anniversary of Milk's assassination in San Francisco. In the evening mist, he began passing out poster boards and black markers with instructions to write the names of people who had died of AIDS on the poster boards and tape them to the old federal building. Over 1,000 names made their way onto the granite, and as they read them aloud, Jones was reminded of his great-grandmother's home in Indiana, where quilts served as decoration, legacy, and comfort. He had an idea that he would spend the next two years shaping into a reality. A quilt. A quilt that would serve as a memorial and a call to action about the AIDS epidemic. A quilt made of panels, each of which would represent someone who had died as a result of the new disease. A quilt made by families and friends that could represent the lives lost. This idea would take time to grow, as Cleve Jones endured a positive HIV diagnosis and an assassination attempt by a neo-Nazi group. The combination of the novelty of AIDS and homophobia made for a devastating combination. Not only was there no cure for AIDS or information about how it was transmitted, but no one wanted to admit that they had it. People died, and because of closets they never left or families who trapped them there after they passed, their deaths were described as cancer. Obituaries came out with friends, lovers, and partners unmentioned. Many people who died of AIDS-related causes did not receive funerals due to the social stigma of AIDS, as well as the outright refusal of many funeral homes and cemeteries to handle the remains of the deceased. And the number of AIDS victims and positive HIV diagnoses continued to grow and grow with little public attention and no opportunities for communal grief. 
By 1987, Cleve Jones and his team of quilters had started piecing together sections of the quilt with the intention of bringing it to Washington, D.C.'s National Mall. Each section was designed to be three feet wide and six feet long, the average size of a human grave. They wanted to lay their dead siblings at the feet of their government. The first two sections of the quilt had been made with bedsheets and spray paint, but as they reached out to the gay community of San Francisco and beyond, donations made a workshop with sewing machines and workstations possible. Volunteers streamed in to make sections for friends. Newly diagnosed AIDS patients came in to make sections for themselves, which would sometimes be finished by other quilters once they became too sick to continue. They worked and cried and sang there's no business like so business and developed a shared calling in the way that activists and artists do. Cleve spoke to the newly elected congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, who helped arrange for the quilt to be displayed on the National Mall in full for the first time in 1987 in conjunction with the National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights. In October, members of the Names Project, the nonprofit that would oversee the quilt, made their way to Washington and snuck into dorms at Georgetown University that had been provided to them surreptitiously, since Georgetown had recently banned all gay and lesbian organizations. On October 11th, 1,920 sections of the quilt were unfolded on the National Mall in silence by volunteers dressed in white to honor nurses who often happened to be lesbians, who had stepped in to care for patients other folks were scared to touch. After the initial display, the Names Project received an avalanche of new sections of the quilt from around the country, as well as requests from community members who wanted the quilt brought to them, who wanted to honor and grieve and read the names and be transformed by the process of naming. So the quilt went on a 21-stop tour, traveling across the United States. It raised over $500,000 for local AIDS service organizations. More than 9,000 volunteers helped the seven-person traveling crew move and display the quilt. The size of the quilt tripled by the end of the tour. It went back to D.C. in 1988. In 1989, Nancy Pelosi nominated it for a Nobel Peace Prize. Sections of it were accessioned into the collection of the Smithsonian. The quilt continued to grow, both a testament to the lasting comfort and power of the quilt, as well as the virility of AIDS. In 1996, the quilt would return to DC, where it would be displayed in full for the last time. As it was unfolded on October 11th, 1996, the quilt was displayed by 12,000 volunteers and covered 24 football fields worth of space. Approximately 1.2 million people attended the display that day, including Bill and Hillary Clinton. It was the first time a sitting president had viewed the quilt. Both Bill and Hillary found friends they had known among the quilt's names. Cleve Jones asked them for an additional $195 million for the AIDS drug assistance program, and President Clinton would push for that increase one month later. For all its fabulousness, beauty, and magnificence, there is no getting around the fact that each panel represents someone who died too soon. Sections of the quilt include embroidery, applique, 
paint and stencil, beading, iron-ons, lace, suede, leather, mink, taffeta, bubble wrap, metal, pearls, quartz, rhinestones, sequins, feathers, buttons, jeans, t-shirts, gloves, boots, hats, uniforms, jackets, shoes, the ashes of the deceased, locks of hair, love letters, cowboy boots, paintings, photographs, fishnet, wedding rings, stuffed animals, records, crystals, whistles, foam rubber french fries, a tuxedo, toys, a cowboy hat, a buddhist's saffron robe, condoms, a bowling ball, notes from friends, students, family members, lovers, survivors. It is impossible to look at that tapestry of humanity and not feel something, to comprehend some tiny piece of what the AIDS pandemic is and feel motivated to respond to that loss. Statistics cannot capture and bullet points cannot restrain the powerful grief of the lesbian and gay groups that began the quilt. It's remarkable, really, that the gay community of San Francisco was not swallowed whole by that grief, trapped under the tremendous weight of a pandemic largely ignored by their government and shunned by their neighbors but instead they pulled meaning from the very fabric of themselves and wove it into something greater than individual loss. In 2020, the Names Project is continuing to accept, archive, and display sections of the quilt, and have a collection of more than 48,000 panels commemorating more than 105,000 individual lives. It is the largest ongoing folk art project in the world. The Names Project Foundation announced plans to put the quilt on a permanent display at the National AIDS Memorial Grove at its Center for Social Conscience in San Francisco, where the project began. Links to their website and instructions on how to support that effort can be found in the show notes. This has been 1,000 Words. If you like what you heard, please do me a favor and like, subscribe, and review this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Believe me, it does a tremendous amount of good for the show. This podcast comes to you from the weird and wonderful world. This podcast comes to you from the weird and wonderful city of Austin, Texas. Music from this podcast came from purpleplanet.com. Thanks for listening.